Good morning and welcome to Friday morning, September the 1st in 2023 on When I Rise. Today we come to the end of year A, proper week 17, which is also the 14th Sunday after Pentecost. And on the Friday of the week, we'd like to take a look at the gospel passage, which comes to us from this week from the Revised Common Lectionary. And this week of the church's calendar year, and so we find ourselves back in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 through 28. So let me read that passage, provide a couple points for reflection, and then we'll spend our time praying along the theme that we find there. Thanks for making us part of your morning on When I Rise. Let's allow our souls to rise and meet God together in a time of prayer. Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 through 28. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Truly I tell you, some of you who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. This is the word of God for us. So as we telegraphed last week, this story is interesting coming on the heels of this great triumph of Peter, right? He is the one who uh, announces that Jesus is the Messiah of Israel. And these words came from the Father himself, according to Jesus's testimony. And so we think, man, uh, Peter's got it. Uh, He seems to be well-informed disciple of Jesus now. And then the very next story, oh, oh child, just turn the page, right? And here he is, he's rebuking Jesus. And, um, you know, we could uh, dogpile on Peter here. We can dunk on him for sure. Uh, I think we also need to have some sort of sympathy for him because the things that Jesus is saying, according to Matthew's record here, would have been something surprising. Um, Even though we like to go to places like Isaiah 53 and Isaiah 55 that talk about this great triumph of a suffering servant, uh, those things, there was no interpretive history before Christians Uh, shining a light on those passages in a Christological way, that uh, God was going to send a a suffering servant from Israel to suffer on behalf of the hands of their enemies. Um, Translations fell on either side of the ditch. You know, if that's like the middle of the road, um, all that we have from rabbis uh, in and around the time of Jesus before and after, uh, they would comment on the other ways. They would say, no, this is actually um, Israel being able to turn on their enemies. And so on and so forth. And so um, when Jesus comes out and he says, I'm going to actually suffer so much on on behalf of the hands of those within our own community. And uh, there's going to be a glorification because of it. Like this would have been an afflicted, you know, comment to them. They would not have had the categories to diagnose this as good news. And so Peter takes him aside. And so uh, Jesus begins to 
put down some categories for us about what discipleship kind of looks like. I think um, one one of those categories is uh, what is a godly concern and what is a human concern. We'll notice in verse 23, as Jesus is sorting this thing out with Peter, he says, you do not have a mind on the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. I think this is important for us to evaluate as we're doing our own discernment in life. Is, uh, is my mind preoccupied by human concerns or godly concerns? And we think surely of the Colossians 3 passage with the Apostle Paul trying to disciple a community in Colossae. He says, set your minds on things above and not on earthly things. And so you, the, uh, the literal Greek there is to lay up in your minds the things of Christ, right? Things above. Um, and I think that uh, this is good. We, we should be, we should have God's priorities on our minds. We need to have God's teachings on our minds. I think sometimes uh, people use this as like a clobber passage if they're in the middle of a committee meeting at church and someone is, you know, trying to talk about a room set up and the discipleship wing and uh, someone's had enough of the conversation. They feel like we need to move on. And they say, you just, these are all human concerns, it seems, and not godly concerns. I've heard this once in the middle of a theological discussion. And somebody was giving a, what in my mind was a great explanation of things to think about theologically. And the person didn't want anything to do with it. And so they said, well, you're, just, you're talking about the things of man. I, I kind of get a little bit irritable with that. Like, how about to say human, please? Men and women together. All right. Uh, they're like, yeah, you're talking about the things of man, not the things of God. Well, how do you know that for sure? Just because you don't like it doesn't mean it's not the things of God. And so anyways, I think it is an important thing that Jesus does here for us to consider. There are human concerns and there are godly concerns. Um, it, it is not easy to d- dissect by saying only the things on church grounds are godly things and everything else is human concerns. It's not just that easy, but to nevertheless, uh, we should discern whether the things that we're grappling with and giving our best energy to are ultimately things that matter for the kingdom of God or not. Okay. And to keep those things within a reasonable ratio and balance um, to the things of God. Uh, to the things of everyday life, right? Okay, another thing that he talks about is Jesus says the way of uh, glorification in the kingdom is the way of suffering. Um, This is something that Scott McKnight, we've talked about before, scholar of the New Testament, when he tries to diagnose the teaching of Paul uh, over and against the teaching of other Greco-Roman era teachers, uh, what he says from Paul's writings are is this... um, Cursus honorum and cursus pedorum. Okay, so in the Greco Roman world, the best thing you can think for yourself is to be so glorified by your contemporaries that they would put a statue of you in the capital city of Rome, right? Because you're a great politician or orator or you're a great athlete or a warrior on the battlefield or you had great beauty, you know, all these things. You were had all these superlatives about you. Um, and so you had a statue in Rome, like you fought for that, right? Like you would even disown your own family. You would um, double cross them in order to get ahead, right? And Paul says, no, uh, the way of the, of the kingdom is contrary to that. It's cursus pedorum. It's the way of suffering, of giving up opportunities, turning down promotions in order to bring forth the ways of the kingdom. And so that's uh, what we see here in the teachings of Jesus. You must deny yourselves and take up your cross. And so you can follow Jesus and you can lose your life to find it. And uh, you can forfeit the things of the world so that you don't forfeit your own 
soul, right? And he talks about how this is all going to add up to the glorification of the Son. And we see in verse 27, For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory which with his angels, and then he'll reward each person according to what they have done. I think this is something uh, that's worth lingering on for a moment. I will uh, place a neat little devotional video from N.T. Wright that came up within the last week of this recording. Where he talks about how like glory to God, giving glory to God, does not have to happen in absentia to our own concerns and our own health and dignity. In fact, uh, what N.T. Wright will say in the video is that uh, glory can be uh, synonymous to this idea of dignity. And I think sometimes what we hear in uh, popular Protestant teaching in particular is that we have to like, like borderline hate ourselves in order to give space to glorify God. And you'll hear people round off their prayers, not for our glory, God, but your, for your glory alone. And I, I get what the, the posture is there, but uh, I also know that there's some tributaries within the Christian tradition that say like the, the glory of God is the human fully alive. So as God is being glorified, he's going to also glorify the church. And you can actually see that in a long explanation of Romans chapter 8. Uh, where there's going to be a glorification of the people of God, the creation of God, along with the glory of God. And so glorifying God doesn't come with hating ourselves, right? Or uh, completely emptying ourselves. No, I think God brings us along with him as God's being glorified in the earth. There's a dignity towards God and there's a dignity towards God's people. And so um, we have this interesting cryptic statement at the end, probably one that uh, kept people spellbound for a couple generations. But Jesus says, truly, I tell you, some of you who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Obviously, that hasn't happened in its fullness yet. And so is Jesus missing the mark here? I think this is where we can lean on some good theology from George Eldon Ladd called Inaugurated Eschatology, where he says something did happen at the cross. Something did happen at Pentecost for the glorification and the arrival of God's kingdom. And something is continuing to happen throughout the ministry and the work of the church. God's kingdom is arriving all around us, but it's going to be fully, it's going to fully dawn in the age to come. So it wasn't like Jesus missed the mark here. It wasn't like some people were expecting they would not die until the full uh, arrival and dawning of the kingdom. There was certainly an expectation of that. It's one of the reasons why some people think that there wasn't much um, New Testament writing going on right after the time of Jesus because they just expected that the era of the church, the ministry of the apostles, would be rather short and that Jesus would reappear uh, among the people of God. And so only after a generation or two of the first apostles uh, was there beginning like the writing of things down because they began to recognize, okay, well, maybe Jesus is not going to come back right away. So let's start writing some of our testimony down. I just simply think here there's in a mystery. God's kingdom did arrive, it is arriving, and it will fully arrive at the very end of the age. So, all right, well, I've already stayed my 10 minutes here. So let me round off some other comments that we could say about Matthew chapter 16 with these things in mind. Let's turn to a time of prayer this morning. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are bringing a unique people along with you as you restore all things and you mend the universe. We thank you that the, to be the people of God is to take an interesting shape and contour to lived experience that's over and against and different than other communities out there. Uh, we thank you that um, you call us to take up a cross daily. And we thank you that you don't just do that in absentia, but you 
Allow us to witness that in a vivid way with Jesus taking up his own cross with that self-sacrifice, self-giving love that is mending the world. And so God, this day we confess to you that we sometimes struggle uh, with our own selfishness and pride. Um, This taking up the cross is an affliction to some of the things that we've been used to in life. And so we just simply pray for your help. We pray for your grace so that we can be empowered to be people of self-giving love for the sake of the world. And so as we go to workplaces and schools and family communities and friendship communities, and as we spend time together over the weekend, I pray that you would teach us the way of Jesus, uh, help us to be people who serve and uh, who relish in that work, who delight in that work so that um, lives would be put back together so that communities would become more healthy and whole and so more ultimately that Jesus would be revealed in the earth. God, we do pray that you glorify your own name and we think of that as dignity is ascribed to you, dignity is ascribed to your people. And so we pray that you would lift us up as we lift your name up into the world around us. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.